Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Are Scary, the podcast that celebrates people of color writing in horror. Why horror, you might ask? For me, it's always been about adventure and resilience. Horror stories were new worlds where people triumphed in the worst case scenarios. I've always sought out those worlds, especially when the heroes look like me and the people I love. I'm your host, by the way, Wimoto. I'm also the founder of Dusky Projects, a group of misfits that create horror and sci-fi works. We here at Dusky Projects are all about carving out spaces for celebration and joy while facing the monsters together. So let's lean in and listen to our story. Before I tell you my story, I need you to believe me. I'm not looking to run from what I've done. I don't want your forgiveness, and I sure as hell don't need your pity. But if you believe me, then you'll understand why I had to kill them. Mama always said, the devil is a lie. I remember thinking that before it happened. But Mama was wrong. The devil isn't some jealous white boy with a torture fetish. The devil, the real devil, is the truth. And hell, hmm, hell is her sword. I was 14 hours into that leg of my journey to the Adirondack Mountains. Outside, the woods blurred black and green. My broncos rumbling just beneath Billie Holiday's strange fruit lent a roar to the song. Her voice, heavy and lonely, sounded just like she did on Mama's old vinyl. Every time I heard it, I felt the same. Beside me were topographical maps flagged with summer camp locations. My notes, with places and dates and interviews with nearby townsfolk. The names of the dead and missing children I carried with me. My bourbon, daddy's shotgun, all riding alongside me like friends. (laughs) Or demons. I spared a glance at them, but I knew them well enough already. The next camp was one of the pink flags on my map. I just don't know which one. In 10 years, I'd driven every back road across America, in one way or another. That road wasn't any different, really, and would probably end up the same as all those other roads, as empty and dark as the one I was on. But I drove them anyway. I couldn't stop looking for them, looking for her. Kiki Amory Porter, my daughter, missing 10 years from the Young Leader Summer Camp in Lynch, Maryland. Instinctively, I reach for the half-empty bottle of Jack bouncing alongside me. I thought after all this time, I'd become used to the smell. I heard that once at an AA meeting, years before I'd given up the notion of being sober ever again. 
the booze doesn't smell the same, they say. Smells sour, like nothing at all. Well, for me, it always smelled like spice and oak, mm, leather and hand-rolled clove cigarettes, depending on what I'm drinking. These days, no, years, it's whiskey. So I pulled the cork with my teeth and took a small pull from the bottle. Just a sip. Well, I didn't want to be drunk, just keep the memories at bay. My muscles went loose and the dividing lines of the dark road intertwined for a second. The truck veered a little while I floated. I saw a bank of fog rolling over the distant hills. It reminded me of a blanket being pulled too tight. I am not the outdoorsy sort. Don't let this old ass Bronco and gun fool you. Apart from those hunting trips every summer with daddy, I stayed inside. And even then, mama made me bring some work with me. I was always in class, always studying. By senior year of high school, I was president of the Future Black Leaders Club, debate club moderator, and studying African-American history at a college level. I also played a little bass. Like those lazy summers hunting and fishing, music was daddy's doing. Still, I existed within a strict ritual crafted specifically to ensure success. No, survival. I maintained this ritual as an adult. Even after Kiki was born, I boxed in a gym, I ran on a treadmill, I went to the office, Oh, I was director of graduate studies for the linguistics department at Georgetown. I used to bring my work home with me, help Kiki with her homework, and then we go to bed and do it all again the next day. I was the only child of Virginia's first black female congresswoman and a Vietnam vet turned lobbyist and attorney. They made it. Oh, and they made sure I did too. Maybe that's why I pushed her toward that summer camp my young leader. She was the vessel into which I poured the same hopes and dreams funneled into me. A safe future. <laughs> A lie. When she went missing, they said it was an accident at the lake. Could she swim? They asked. I bit my lip and calmly explained to the much younger white camp director that yes, Kiki can swim and does so at her very fine, very expensive school every day. Eventually a settlement was reached, the camp closed and sold, and another camp opened. And then another child went missing. Another died, and another, and another. A new camp cropped up owned by the same company all promising to make leaders of our children. And the children were the same. Poor, black, brown, from families, news outlets, and state officials didn't give a shit about. All except my Kiki. My Kiki had me. Has me. The bottle at my lips was cool like a sudden air. The whiskey tasted of bitter fruit and a low, crackling fire. 
A lonely note from Billy hung on the air as the gray fog rolled over the road and turned my vision white. I imagined Mama watching me from the passenger seat. <laughs> what would she say if she could see me now? Nappy gray hair, the weight of bags pulling my dull eyes down. I look like a tired drunk. Well, I am a tired drunk. Only it's obvious now. Tired and angry. With only my drink and my demons to keep me going. Look at you. Just look at you. Fix yourself up. She'd say in her Sunday sermon voice, her head wagging with disdain. The devil is a lie, Paula. The sweetest lie there is. I turned to face her, some witty retort on my tongue, forgetting for a moment that I conjured her. But it wasn't Mama riding with me. Instead, my mind conjured Kiki, right there beside me, so clear I could make out the detail on her white Nikes, see her ashy knees, the grass stains on her favorite dress, the one with sunflowers embroidered all over. Kiki's face was impassive, eyes glassy brown and unseeing. She opened her mouth wide, and for a second I thought she was going to speak to me at last. Not just a dream or a memory, but Kiki, my Kiki. But then I heard it, a horn. At first, it's low, distant, but it got clearer, louder, until it filled the Bronco. And Kiki, she's vibrating with the sound, her body ringing like an alarm. I was so scared I couldn't move. All I could do was see the pleading expression on her face and hear the clarion call ringing the world around me. Her small hand catches my wrist so fast I didn't even see it. And only then do I find I can scream. And I do. <coughs> I scream and yank my hand only to be pulled out of the dream. That's what it must have been. Because the seat was empty beside me. The sound was Billy's voice carrying that long and lonely note. The song ended as abruptly as I acknowledged it. In my right hand, I clutched the bottle of Jack, and I realized I was drifting onto the opposite side of the road and headed right towards the trees. I don't know why I didn't just pull over. I was tired. I was drunk. Maybe if I had, all this wouldn't have happened. I would still be out there, on the road, instead of telling you this. Maybe I wouldn't have murdered all those people. Don't get me wrong, they had it coming. Each and every one of them. And I hope they burn in hell. But doing it and living with it are two different things. I do know that if I hadn't had that dream, I would have hit that little girl. 
because that's when I saw her, walking out of the tree line right in front of my Bronco. I saw her so clearly in that moment. She was dazed, like how they say deer look before they're hit. She wore a dirty blue t-shirt, jean shorts. There were leaves stuck in her hair and around her dirty knees and legs. Bright splashes of red on her mouth and neck and hands. She looked wild, lost like she was sleepwalking with her eyes open. I slammed the brakes with both feet. The Bronco skidded wildly, the tires screaming, screaming so loud that I remembered Kiki's clarion call. But the girl didn't hear it, didn't move out of the way. She just stood there, shuddering violently. The Bronco closed the distance between us too quickly. The girl, bloody all over, stopped shaking, and her eyes, oh God, her eyes, leveled right on me. It all happened so fast, but I swear I saw it, felt it. There was something terrible in that look, something ancient. It was as vicious and uncaring as an inferno. She lifted her hands and without effort, stopped the Bronco. The Bronco seized, as if hitting something more solid than itself. I was yanked forward by the impact. The airbag punched into my chest and I cracked my head on the driver's side window so hard, I passed out. The road swam into hazy focus through the prism of red. I remember the accident and the girl. So I sat up, which sent a sharp pain up my back down my right leg. My chest was on fire. A broken rib, oh, maybe two. Oh, pain is good. Pain means I'm alive. Steam rose into the night outside the cracked windshield. I think for a moment that I hit her and it nearly breaks me. Then another thought catches me before I slip into the void. I remember her eyes, those burning black eyes before she stopped the Bronco. The girl laid on her side on the ground in front of the grill, as if she just simply fainted in the road. Dried blood stained the skin around her mouth and neck onto her T-shirt, fearing her dead. I checked her pulse and found it beating fiercely against my fingers as if struggling to be free. Can, can, can you hear me? I croaked. I realized I hadn't spoken aloud in a few days. Are you okay? Are you hurt? The girl doesn't move or react. I prodded her limbs, checking for broken bones, for the source of the blood. But there wasn't any, not even a scratch. It wasn't her blood. I was 
scared. Scared to lift her, scared to wake her, scared of the blood on her and who it might belong to, scared for myself. How was I going to explain any of this? I fumbled for my cell phone, but I know there's no reception out that far. The nearest town was a good 15, 20 miles out, and no one was on the back roads that late. A wave of panic rose in my belly until it was in my ears, thundering like a wave ready to crash. Pick yourself up, Paula. I intoned Mama's words like a chant until my breathing slowed. When I open my eyes, I see two small, deep indentations in the grill of the Bronco. I pulled her into my arms and cradled her like I used to carry Kiki when she'd fall asleep on the couch. The girl was taller, a little younger than Kiki would be, 12 maybe. She had dark, clear skin, thick, natural hair. In sleep, she looked peaceful. It hit me that I was holding a child, someone's beautiful little girl. My heart swelled with pity, my belly with shame. I let my pain, my guilt drive me. I wrapped myself in it, chased it down all those roads for 10 years, and I used it to drink myself to sleep on that road. I didn't care what happened to me, but it didn't happen to me. It happened to the girl in my arms. I was no better than the people that hurt her. I'm so, so sorry, I said to her, tears streaming down my face. I didn't see you. I didn't know. I looked down and my stomach clenched so tight I almost dropped her on her shirt, in bright yellow letters stained with blood. New Day Leadership Conference arched over a smiling cartoon sun. She was running away from the very people I'd been hunting all these years. The camp that took my Kiki and so many others and almost got her. I thought I was crazy for so long. Kids went missing all the time, they said. The police, the lawyers, all of them never listened, never even tried to look for her. Even after I brought evidence that this camp was harming children, that they were at the very least negligent, they just nodded along and filed it away, and I was powerless to stop it. Ten years hunting them. And there it was, on her t-shirt. Oh, thank God, you found her. The voice, distinctly female, came from behind me. I couldn't make out her features, only the vague shape of darkness on the other side of the headlights. She stepped closer, a limp in her gait. Her bare feet were caked with red-brown dirt. I felt the thrum of a heartbeat, hot 
skin on my chest and realize I was clutching the girl to me in fright. She just came out into the road, I started saying. I didn't know why. Just came out, walked right into the road, and stopped like she was a, a damn zombie. I swerved, but she, she reached out. The woman took another slow step toward the light. Oh, you found her. That's all that matters. In the glow of the headlights, I saw her better. The woman's black hair was pulled into a bun with blunt, straight bangs, that kind of bun that pulls too tight at the temples. She wore a fine gray suit skirt, over which was the same dusk blue T-shirt. Only, a large red splotch stained her left side, another smaller one on her chest. Jesus, I breathed, understanding then what I was seeing. Is she dead? She asked, her eyes not leaving the girl in my arms. Something was wrong with her face. I tried to focus on it, but my mind refused to retain the image until it was just the vagueness of a severe woman in charge. Grayish white skin wrapped over sharp bone. Black hair, dark eyes, blood on her chin and neck. A wound, raw and red and chewed. What did you do to her? I said, and heard a growl in it. Now, just wait a minute, the woman said, stepping lightly forward into the headlight beam. I stepped back to keep the distance between us. We don't have to do anything you don't want. We can tell the police anything you want. They don't have to know you're drunk, she said. She was too placating, her voice too smooth, as if she was trying to sound normal, concerned. She held her long spindle fingers out in a calming gesture that felt nothing like calm. Her eyes were locked on the girl in my arms. It was wrong. All of it. I stepped back until I was at the edge of the Bronco. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the open driver's side door. The gray woman stands then, her eyes narrowing on me for the first time. In them I saw hunger and hate. Now, Paula. She said, all pretense of care gone and replaced with a taunting scold. Her head dropped abruptly. It came to a stop between her shoulders as if the string holding it up was suddenly cut. She watched me from the top of her hungry eyes, her thin lips spreading into a terrifying parody of a smile. Let's not pretend to have a conscience now. She rolled her limp head to one side. Give her to me, and I'll let you live. The gray woman knew my name, knew I'd been drinking. 
Something inside me told me to run for my life. I dashed for the door, but the gray woman moved too fast. Only after I felt the blow did I realize she struck me. Then I was falling backward, clutching the girl. The concrete burned through my shirt when I skid across it, adding to the pain in my back and ribs and wrist. I exhaled a pained moan and struggled to get up with the weight of the girl still in my arms. I can't let her go. I won't. You're so close, Paula. Can't you feel it? She was saying, moving toward us across the road. You felt us before in Colorado. We certainly felt you. That emptiness you fill with liquor. What a vessel you would have made us, were you young? Her little monologue barely registered. The driver's side door was still open, still chiming encouragement, but the woman stood between the doors, her hunched shoulders swaying. She wanted me to run for it. But, but not, not you, you Paula. No, you made If only Kiki were that lucky. She said and bared her terrible maw, her teeth great and sharp and many. My arms trembled violently. I thought it was me, quaking in fear and rage, but it was the girl. Her eyes twitching behind closed lids, then opened on me. She met me with the full power of her gaze, and it burned, burned brilliant and white hot. In that one moment, I felt everything saw everything. The camp, the girl, the little clearing in the woods where they took her and her friend, the blood and the bowl on the altar, the glyph scratched in chalk around the circle, the swatches of blood on counselors' foreheads. I heard the ringing, changing pitch until it hit a clarion note, the darkness that fell like a curtain, and the voice in that darkness pleading to God, calling for her mama, for anyone to help her. I heard what answered, the shadow, the flame. I saw my whole life, saw opportunity skip me, saw the deaf ears the blank expressions of the detectives as they filed Kiki's case among the hundreds of other missing black girls. The records that only went back a few pitiful decades. I saw myself drinking. I saw my mama and daddy drinking and knew that like them, I was trying to fill a hole I carried from birth. I had been on this road since before I was born. All her undeniable rage was my rage. My mama's and her mama before that. They opened a door, wanting to possess her body like they had with the others. But in her fury and pain, she called something they didn't expect. And that ancient essence they could never understand, distilled by centuries of suffering answered. It wrapped itself in the skin of its daughter, 
consumed her, became her, was her. <sighs> when she released me from her piercing gaze, my knees buckled, and I fell with a sharp, pained cry. Tears burned my eyes, and through them I saw the girl standing in the road between me and the gray woman. The gray woman batted the air defensively, hissing. Her limbs had grown long and thin, her torso stretched and crooked. More limbs broke through the back of her t-shirt, long and gray legs with sharp claws at the end. No, not a woman, I realized. A spider rearing on dead gray legs in the twin headlights of the Bronco. The girl spoke, and her voice was deep and clear. The, the truck, Paula. I will hold her off. She stepped towards the spider. Wasting no time, I ran for the driver's side door. The battery light on the dash glowed red like a warning. Outside, I heard a meaty impact, the shuffle of bodies colliding on the pavement. The bottle of Jack caught my attention. It sat atop the maps and notes and names. Somehow, it glows amber gold in the struggling dash light like a beacon, lapping against the bottle like waves crashing the shore. I shook my head as if to clear the temptation. Outside, the girl climbed onto the spider's writhing back. Her face was void of feeling of struggle. Her eyes were the contained focus of that ancient power. With her right hand, she braced herself on the gray woman's back. With her left, she caught a wildly swinging limb with the quickness of a viper seizing prey and yanked. The sound the gray woman made was not human. I can't describe it. Even now, I, I can only say that I never wanted to hear it again. But that wasn't true. I did. The limb tore away like wet paper. Black blood sprayed onto their camp t-shirts and faces. Watching them, I thought of Kiki. The girl throws the arm across the road. A splash of blood splattered the windshield and startled me out of my reverie. The engine wouldn't start. The Bronco whined in the effort, too drained to keep going. The headlights weakened to two thin beams of light. I watched them flare with each turn of the key, only to weaken again. Silence on the road. No spider, no girl, only dust floating through the headlights and blood on the pavement. I peered through the blood-splattered window onto the trees, but they offered nothing. I grabbed Daddy's shotgun and found it empty. The box of shells was far beneath the passenger seat. I strained to reach them. The Bronco bucked sharply, sending the box of shells within reach. The girl crashed against the hood first, the spider's sharp claw buried in her stomach. The girl didn't make a sound. She only rolled her eyes back at me. 
and with a look of pure exhaustion, slammed the hood of the car. The engine roared to life. Still, a victorious smile spread on the spider woman's face. Her lips peeled back over sharp teeth. She wrapped human hands around the girl's throat, her spider's limb digging deeper into her belly. I applaud your attempt to take her, old one. I didn't think you had it in you. They forgot your name, your ways. We made sure of that. We rode on your lands and scattered your people. Cut the tongues out of those that dared call to you. You have no power here. I was out of the car before I could think. The engine idled loud and furious. She didn't hear me. Didn't hear the barrel click close, even as I thumbed the lever down. The girl bit down hard, taking advantage of the spider's fondness for a speech. It wasn't enough, but it got me closer. This vessel is mine! The spider shouted into the girl's face. Spittle dribbled over her sharp teeth onto the girl. Leave her, or I'll cut you out inch by inch. My hands shake, but I take aim. Something whipped at me from the dark. A limb. I stumbled backwards, but didn't fall. The girl seized distraction to lift the heavy spider off her neck. I raised the gun again, and this time, I fired. The blast tore a hole into her chest, knocking her off the girl and into the road. Her scream was a wail that filled the night with a thousand distorted voices in pain. One of them rang clear in its heartbreaking familiarity. Kiki. I couldn't see the girl. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew she slid off the hood of the truck, clutching at her throat. I knew the engine was idling, wanting to be as far away as I did, but it was a long road to get there, and I wasn't finished yet. I slid two rounds into the double barrel, snapped the barrel shut. Ahead, the spider's limbs flailed in the shadows beyond the headlights. I heard the dry scrape of her skin against the pavement, and I knew it was trying to escape me. I pointed Daddy's shotgun at the hulking mass, but before I could fire, a shadow dashed behind me and then ahead and on the left. Out of the shadows between the trees, a pair of white Nikes stumbled onto the road. My hand began to tremble as I watched Kiki step out like she used to when she was just a little thing. A sob caught in my throat and stuck there. It was all I could do not to call her name. Even as sirens sounded in my head, I tightened my grip on the shotgun. She wants you to come with us, Mama, Kiki said in her little girl's voice. The sob broke and I burst into heavy tears. Every detail was right. 
down to the grass stain on her dress, the frayed threads of gold on the sunflowers. Give her to us, and you can come with us, Mama. Oh, baby. Baby, I found myself saying, I'm so sorry this happened to you. A flicker of movement out of the corner of my eye. Kiki looked up at me, her brown eyes as dull and lifeless as a doll. But you're not my Kiki. The limb came quick, and I was ready for it. I ducked out of the way as it sailed past my head. Another darted and sliced into my left arm as I dodged. The Kiki thing stood back and giggled. <laughs> then collapsed, lifeless. Her body jerked once, then yanked backward by the spine. She slid along the pavement out into the darkness, her doll's eyes seeing nothing. A claw tore into my left side, another on my right. I screamed as they lifted me off the ground, high into the air. I smelled the sick of the spider's breath and my own blood and saw her massive outline in night from which sharp teeth glinted. I lifted the shotgun as she pulled me closer. My weak fingers found the trigger. This is for Kiki, you bitch. I aimed and fired right into her face. The claws retracted. I crashed hard onto the pavement. Oh, groaning. I struggled toward the Bronco and saw the girl sitting in the driver's seat, both hands gripping the wheel. It was a long road to get there, and there were miles to go before I could rest. The girl must have sensed this as I collapsed into the driver's seat. There is a road. Two miles ahead on the right. That is where we will find them, she said, and handed me the first aid kit. I grimaced as I sat up and sat the shotgun against the seat behind me. The Bronco reared when I punched the gas. In the road ahead, the gray woman lay in her soiled suit, her black eyes wide and staring at nothing. A broken vessel. The hateful thing inside fled to the other realm. I still couldn't see her face, but I found I didn't need to. Her body crunched wetly when I drove over. The New Day Massacre, they called it. It didn't make the national news, really. Just a brief mention of the crazy black woman who murdered innocent white camp counselors in upstate New York. A warning about how dangerous we are. Ooh, how unstable. A pitiful lie. <laughs> but I know the truth. And now, you do too.
Thanks so much for joining us. Vessel was written by Melissa White and performed by Cherie J. Davis. Sound design was brought to you by the creative mind of Gabe Castro. Director and co-producer is the incredible Jeanettes Garcia. And then there's me, your humble host, Uimoto Nayoka. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can make a tax-deductible donation at the link provided on our page. You can also support by tuning in. We love that. We're here the last Friday of every month showcasing new authors and new scary stories. Till next time.